As Pastor Ben said, it's being in the service. I'm Andrew Johnson, a missionary to Latin America, living right here in, here in Doral. And it is a privilege to be here with you this morning. Um, one of the things that I really enjoy about the work that I do is although I'm based here, we do online classes for people in every country in Latin America, from time to time I get to go and visit the people who are taking classes and, and want to start churches where they're at. A few months ago, I was in, a, uh, I was traveling to visit someone who lived in a small town called Oveja Sucre, Colombia, not too far from the Caribbean coast. And to fly there, I had to go to a even a, a small city nearby called Corozal. I think it maybe just had one or two flights a day that came in. And we flew there, and Rafael, the man who we were going to see, it was me and a co-worker who were going there, now, he said he was going to send us a taxi driver. And he said, don't worry, he'll find you. His name is Nino Dios. So this man's name, he said, his name, and that was all the information he gave. His name is Nino Dios. Nino Dios in Spanish is child God, like God child. This is the one who's going to come see you. So we got to the airport, and this is the, we waited for our promised taxi driver, Nino Dios. And the other... 10 to 15 passengers who were on the flight all left, and we were just sitting there waiting for Nino Dios to, come, to show up. Um, maybe an hour after we were outside, um, a very old Toyota Corolla showed up, unmarked, and a very short man popped out, introduced himself as Nino Dios. We figured there can't be more than one Nino Dios. This must be the guy. So we hopped in with him, and we went. And when we got to the place that we were visiting, we asked some people. Well, some people talked to us. Oveja Sucre is a small town. They don't get many visitors from outside. No tourists, no tourists wander through Oveja Sucre. So we were there, and everyone wanted to know how we got there. And, they, and, we, and we said, oh, we came with Nino Dios. Like, oh, yeah, of course, Nino Dios. And a couple of people, we asked, like, so what's his name? Like, I don't know, I, I think it's just Nino Dios. It turns out his actual real name is Ramiro, but everyone calls him Nino Dios because there's a statue in a nearby town of Nino Dios, and everyone thinks he looked exactly like it. So they called him, they've always called him Nino Dios. Um, so from that name, we found out, well, first of all, we could have recognized the guy because he, he must have been maybe five foot ish, about that size. So we, we, we kind of knew a little bit about him from the name, I guess. If we would have been from the, from the place, we would have known how he looked, because he looked just like that statue. Sometimes names have a lot of significance. When my wife and I went looking for names, we didn't always know what they meant, we just kind of liked the way they sounded. Back in Bible days, though, usually names had more significance. Like Nino Dios, there he is with my co-worker Matt Bamer. Apparently looks just like the statue. His name meant something, or the name that everyone called him meant something, because it associated him with the statue that everyone knew, and everyone called him that. Today we're going to look at a reading from Luke chapter 1. And we're going to hear a lot of names. Four verses, eight names, and every name has just a lot of significance. In fact, you've probably heard the story a hundred times. Even those who don't spend very much time in church have heard this story again and again and again. However, as we take a little bit more time to think about that story this morning, we're going to find out what those names mean, and in looking closely at the names, we see who God is. 
someone who always keeps his promises, even to those who don't do the same. We're going to read the story with special attention to the names, and then we're going to take a second to just look at each name to see exactly what it means. Here's a story from Luke chapter 1. But the angel said to her, that's Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Eight names in four verses. Each name is just loaded with meaning. So we're going to take a second. We're just going to look at each name and see what it means. A lot of times when we think of the name Angel, this angel is specifically named Gabriel, we think of a guy wearing white, kind of shining a little bit with wings. And sometimes the Bible describes angels in that way, but the essence of the word doesn't really mean that. It means messenger. When God was about to keep his promise, promised for millennia, it was very special. And for that special occasion, he sent his own messenger to Mary to deliver that very important message that the time had finally come. He delivered that message, of course, to someone named Mary. Did you know Mary is one of the most common names in the New Testament? There are six different individuals who have that name. The only other name that's close in the Old Testament, close to being so common and so normal, is Joseph. There's six Josephs, too. So, again and again, in the New Testament, you hear this name, Mary, not because the person was so special, but because it was really just in the name, a very common name. In fact, while the other names have a very specific meaning, we're not even really sure what the name Mary meant. Very common Hebrew name, Mary, in a common place called Nazareth. When the angel refers to the one who had sent him, at first he just uses the, uses the name God. Just kind of the general term, the general term for the supreme being, the one and only, the perfect and powerful. But it's significant here because Mary, normal, in Nazareth, in a small village, had found favor with the supreme being, the creator. By the second sentence, of the angel, of the messenger of God to Mary, who's already talking about the name of the child she's going to have. She had just found out she was going to be pregnant by the power of God, and right away he tells her a name, and it was a very special name. The name of the child was going to be Jesus. Now Luke here doesn't get into the name of Jesus, but when the angel went to Joseph to talk about the child, he also talked about the name. And there he explained what the name meant. He said the child would be called Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means the Lord saves. It not only described, it wasn't only a name that sounded nice, it was a name that described exactly what that child was going to do. As the angel keeps going, he explains to Mary that this child would not only be known as the son of Mary, which he would be 100% fully human, the son 
of just a regular girl from Nazareth. He would also be the son of the Most High. Most High is a superlative term. It compares that being to others. The Most High. No one is the same. So he would be the son of Mary and the son of the Most High. And then what I think is the most significant name of the eight that we're going to talk about. The Lord God. At first, it might say like, oh, there's just another name for God that we hear all the time. So the Lord God, that combination is special. It is relatively common in the Bible. 347 times you see the combination, the Lord God. 347 times in the Bible. But it's, a new, it's an Old Testament term. 339 times it's found in the Old Testament. Only eight in the entire New Testament. And only here outside of the book of Revelation. All the Gospels, as often as they talk about God and who he is and what he does, they don't use the term. Just here. The Lord God. It was a special way of talking about God. It was a special way because it reminded people that God wasn't only God, the supreme being, the creator, the perfect, and the powerful, but he was also merciful and compassionate. Someone who made promises not to punish always, someone who made promises of love and who was always faithful to those promises. Way at the beginning of the, of the time of the nation of Israel, after they had come out of Egypt, come out of slavery, God appeared before Moses and talked about who he was. And he used the terms, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. He was perfect and powerful. He was God. He was the supreme being. But he was also the God who made gracious promises and always kept them. He was always faithful to what he said he would do. That was the God who was keeping his promise when he sent his angel to Mary. And the one who would come would be associated with David. A thousand years before, David had been the ideal king at the time of the golden age of the nation of Israel. He had been a foreshadow of the one who was to come, the promised Messiah. He had been a shepherd, and he was a king. Then Jesus would come to be the good shepherd, and the king whose kingdom would never end, the spiritual kingdom. And then the last name that we have there is Jacob. Now, in the translation of the Bible we're using here, the NIV, it says Jacob's descendants. Literally, it says the house of Jacob. It's a way we don't talk very often, but talks about a family that became a nation, the house of Jacob. Again, a very unique term. It's found, that term house of Jacob is found all over the place in the Old Testament, only once in the New Testament, right here. Only, like, these are terms, a very special way of announcing a very special event, connecting it to the Old Testament, that promise that God had made to a group of people. And what's interesting, when you go back, back and look at this term, the house of Jacob or Jacob's descendants, that family that became a nation, sometimes it's always used, you know, like the house of Israel, use someone's name to describe a people. But they're people that not only received a promise, but also made a promise. So here we are again in the second book, back at the beginning of the Old Testament, God had made a promise to them. They respond with a promise to him. 
we will do everything the Lord has said we will obey. This was after they had set up the symbol of the nation, the 12 tribes. After that had been set up, they said, they responded, they heard the word of the Lord, and they were going to keep it. They made a promise. But unlike the Lord, who was the promise maker and the promise keeper, they were promise makers, but the story of the Old Testament, in part, becomes the story of the fact that they were promise breakers instead of promise keepers. Again and again and again and again, Jacob's descendants, those 12 tribes, fell into sin, abandoned the Lord, did all kinds of crazy things to show that they were not faithful to their promise. Unlike the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, gracious God who always kept his promises, we see throughout the Old Testament the story of their unfaithfulness. In fact, the name Israel and the descendants of Israel and the house of Jacob and the house of Israel, by the end of the Old Testament, a thousand years after they had made that promise on Mount Sinai, became synonymous with the fact that they broke their promise. They were known, they were known, that name was known as promise breakers. And so then the angel comes to Mary, one of those descendants of Jacob, of the family that was known for breaking his promise. The angel, the messenger from God, came with a message from the one who always kept his promises. She was going to have a son who's going to save the people from their sins, the sins that were well known from the history of the Old Testament. The son that Mary was going to have wasn't just going to be her son. He was going to be her son, but he was going to be more. He was also going to be son of the Most High, the greatest. And he was going to come and be like David. For anyone who knew the Old Testament, for any good Israelite, they remembered that time as the golden age for their nation. And he's going to reign forever. And he's going to do it for Jacob's descendants, the promise breakers. And that was the message for Mary and the message for us still today. As we look at the theme for today, a kept promise, we can't help but think also about ourselves. Do we see ourselves more in the Lord God, the compassionate, gracious God, who makes gracious promises and keeps them every time, or reflected more in Jacob's descendants. When you think about promises, you probably think about a lot that we've made. This is one that some of us here have made. These words are similar. Talk about helping and holding, loving, not just the feeling of love, but also the just that, that attitude and action shown of always putting the needs of the others before your own. If you've made that promise, how have you done at keeping it? If you're a member of this church, you may have made a promise like this at one, at one point. A promise there to conform all your life to the teaching of God's word. How is that gone? Or maybe this one. If you've been present at a baptism, you may have, you may have heard and then promised according to these words. If you're a parent, 
The words have special meaning. To do whatever possible so that this child may remain a child of God until death. That's a big promise. How have we done? Or pretty much anyone in a human relationship, in their families or with friends, probably has made a promise someone like, somewhat like this. I'm so sorry. It will never happen again. How long does that promise remain true? As we look back at our lives, we see that perhaps when people think of our names, maybe they don't think of us so much as promise keepers as, promise, as they think of us as promise breakers. Those promises broken hurt others and their offense against God. They've hurt us too, haven't they? As we look back at our lives and see broken promises made to us, we realize the pain they have caused us and our families. We think about how those broken promises leave a trail of tears. But thankfully, the one who promises does not make his promises dependent on the ones who receive the promise. The one who promises is the Lord God, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, always faithful. The one who promises does not say, I will keep my promise if you keep yours. Despite the long history of rebellion on the part of the people who initially received that promise, God repeated again and again and again that he would keep that promise. In the Garden of Eden, right after the fall into sin, he said he would send someone, a descendant of the woman, to crush the devil's head. He told Abraham that all people on earth would be blessed through him. He told Jacob that his family would be the nation, his family would form the nation where that promise would come. David that one of his descendants would sit on the throne forever. Through the prophet Micah, he said the child would be born in Bethlehem like we heard earlier. Through the prophet Isaiah, he talked about, again, the promise of a king and a shepherd who would come and sit on David's throne would be pierced for our transgressions. And so, because God keeps his promise, all of our broken promises have been forgiven. All the times that we said we were going to do something all the times that we promise God or others that we are going to follow God's will, those sins have been completely taken away because of Jesus, the one whose name means the Lord saves, because that Jesus came, born of Mary, as son of the Most High, lived the perfect life that we haven't lived and gave that to us and received the punishment for all of our sins, rose again to show us his victory, rose again to show us that his, king, that his kingdom will never end, and that we, as those who believe in him, will be a part of that kingdom. As Jacob's descendants today, the spiritual children of Israel, who although we have fallen into sin, are also receivers of the promise. It's something to celebrate at Christmas. We have decorations, we have gifts, we get together with others. Those are all good and great things but there's no gift that is received 
that is as great as the promise that is kept. And that's the greatest gift that we receive because it takes away the guilt that we might have been carrying around, takes away the fear that we might have had like Mary when she received the heavenly messenger. It takes away any chance that someday an angry supreme being perfect and powerful will punish us for what we have done because he sent his son, Jesus, the Savior, born of Mary, born in Bethlehem, who came and rescued us from our sin, who takes away our guilt, who tells us that the Lord is not just a supreme being, perfect and powerful, but he's compassionate and gracious, and that he always keeps his promises to us. I'd like to tell you a little bit about this guy right here. His name is Eduardo Milanese. He's kind of a celebrity doctor in the country of Bolivia. Um, he's on the news all the time. He's kind of maybe a Dr. Oz type character in a good way. Eduardo Milanese, two years ago, was facing crisis after crisis. Because of his celebrity status, he was being sued for malpractice. And because of the way the justice system works in that country, there was a good chance he would not only have to pay a lot of money because of the lawsuit, but also might end up in jail. In the meantime, his family was falling apart in no small part because of his substance abuse issues. Eduardo Milanese didn't know where to turn, didn't know what to do. It was about that time that he happened to see on social media something that came from a group called Academia Cristo, a group he had never heard of before. And the tagline used caught his attention. It said, a key to pass. Here's your piece. And he said, that's what I need. So he started studying the Bible through Academia Cristo. He took class after class after class, despite the fact that he's on the news all the time, he had interviews to do, and he was doing surgeries all day. He found time in his schedule to study the Word of God and find out about the promises of God. That despite the instability of his life and the promises that he himself had broken, that he had a God who always kept his promises, who had sent him a Savior, took away his sins, and gave him peace in this life and peace in eternity. And it gave him a new hope, a new perspective on life, something that he hadn't had before. Eduardo Milanese, in the last two years, has taken 18 courses with Academia Cristo. He's shared with everyone he knows about the peace that he's found in Jesus, about the kept promise that he's heard about. He now gathers a group of 20 people in La Paz, Bolivia, with many more who gather online with him. There he is, right in the middle of the group. This last September... Two of our missionaries had a chance to visit him to meet that group in person. And he was so thankful that he had found something that he had not been able to locate anywhere else in his life. True peace through the promise kept in Jesus. As you think about what you're going to do this Christmas, there's a lot of things to do. You'll probably get gifts. You'll celebrate maybe with friends and family. you probably already put up the decorations. But as you look around the world around you, you see that there's unkept promises all over the place. 
unkept promises in your past, unkept promises made to you, unkept promises from politicians, from business leaders, from people that you know, from friends and family. But you can also know this, that the God who is perfect and powerful is also loving faithful. That he has always kept his promises and always keep his promises to you. That's a gift to treasure this Christmas. It's a gift to give this Christmas. Amen.